Hey everyone, a few weeks ago I read an article in the New York Times titled Celebrity Culture is Burning, which I found fascinating and relevant. So I reached out to New York Times journalist Amanda Hess and I was so thrilled when she agreed to talk with me. And my brother, Dr. Bob, also joins us and I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Please get in touch with us here at Unqualified and tell us how you're doing. Our website is unqualified.com. And now here she is, Amanda Hess. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Amanda, thanks so much for doing this. Of course, yeah. I have to tell you, I'm a, I'm a little nervous talking with you. That's so funny because I, you know, as like a part of my job, I, I do like celebrity interviews yeah. also. And I'm always very nervous interviewing like a famous person. So can we talk about that for a second? Sure. Because I, I actually, it was lower on my list of things that I wanted to ask you. But I do wonder about interviewing techniques and how you approach something the profiles that I've read that you've done, I really love that you tend to not start, and forgive me if, if you have started out a profile with like, Ferris is picking at a, you know, tuna salad. A salad. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you, could, you could have started with my greasy hair that I didn't want to show you. But <laughs> right. Anyway. I mean, I'm lucky in that like the stuff that I do is often, it's actually focused on the work that the person is doing at the moment. For the most part, there are some exceptions. Like I interviewed Tina Turner. Tina Turner is probably the most famous person that I've interviewed. And she's retired and she's been retired for a long time. So she's not really doing anything. Was she open? She was so open. I mean, I really recommend interviewing people who are like 79 or 80 years old. <laughs> because if they have anything to say, like they will say it now. Something that I I just never got from her public persona is that she's incredibly funny. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So that was nice. It's just nice to kind of learn a new thing about someone. So I'm usually not, I'm not trying to find out something particularly scandalous. Although I do, there's always like a question that I don't want to ask that I feel that I have to ask either because my editor has asked me or just because I know that I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't do it. And so I get I get like extremely nervous about asking this question. But for the most part, like usually when I ask it, the person that I'm asking doesn't feel as bad about it as I do for asking. Right. So just doing that over and over helps to make me less nervous about it the next time. The New Yorker years ago did a profile piece on me which at the time when I was asked, I was beyond thrilled. I couldn't believe that this honor was being bestowed. I think nine months later, the journalist Tad Friend worked on the piece for months and would fly out to LA and we would have these long conversations. By the end, when the fact checker called me, I was just terrified. I thought I'm going to have to leave Hollywood. I mean, it was a great piece, but you know, there's those, of course there has to be some critical elements to it. And he, he talked to a lot of people around town and he was wonderful to me and I couldn't adore more. But on our very last interview, I think maybe two months before the piece was to be published, he asked me after maybe doing like nine intense interviews, he said, you know, so I do have to tell you though, and I'm very hesitant to ask this question. But when I Google your name, the first thing that pops up is breast implants or boob job. And I wanted to know if you had a comment on that. And I had this thing where I was like, fuck, we've gone this far. And I sh I just I just have to be honest. What's what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? I like and also kind of I don't know, why why not? So I was like, yep, yep, I I did do that. I did have a boob job. I, I don't think I've said I don't regret it. I, I'm sure I was embarrassed. But I felt for him because I knew that he really didn't want to ask me. Like, I, I, we had, you know, our friendship had had developed to a point where I think he felt that was a very intimate, because it, it was. But also, I didn't want to lie to him at that point. I, and I didn't want to lie in general. Right. I mean, it's it's an uncomfortable thing because obviously, I'm sure that, Tad did feel bad, but it's also this tactic that we use, which is like waiting a little bit. Till so the you end mean he didn't really like, like me? <laughs> no, I'm sure he did. I actually, I'm glad that you brought that up because I've thought about that profile many times. I remember when I first read it and I'm, I hope this doesn't, I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable, but I 
I loved the part about the breast implant oh, because it was you. just, <laughs> it was so honest. And, but I've thought about that profile a lot of times over the years. And I've always wondered what it was like from your perspective, because it did seem like a particularly honest profile. Thank you, Amanda, for reading it and remembering it. Yeah, I was really terrified that I threw people under the bus, you know. I knew that Tad was wanted to comment on the comedic environment for women in Hollywood. And, and he sort of fo- focused on me, <laughs> I guess. But uh, it was very intimate. It was intense. But I was very flattered. But it was a big moment in my life. I did really feel like, okay, I'm going back to Edmonds, Washington, and I'll just take some of my scary movie savings. (laughs) But no, it was great. It was great. But I think there is that, I mean, when you see somebody having written about you, it is, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's surreal. I wish I had better words to describe it, I think, which I kind of, I guess, sort of segues into social media and celebrities, which is what I wanted to talk to you about mostly. But thinking about the shift of control of the narrative with celebrity and social media. And I should preface this by saying, Amanda, I am really bad at social media. I don't really enjoy it that much. I was late to the game with it. And I have a 23-year-old assistant who helps me with my social media and he'll have to guide me like, you got a notification or like he texted me last night saying that you had IM'd me. I guess that's what you call it, instant messaging? DM probably. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I DM'd you. <laughs> See? That's, uh, yeah. So that that's sort of where I'm at. My personal relationship with social media is very reluctant. And I do, I'm not quite sure why I don't enjoy it as much as other people. But why I wanted to talk to you, though, was your amazing piece, Celebrity Culture is Burning, which I read, I think, it, let's see, I have it right here. March 30th, you published it. And if you don't mind, for my listeners, I'm just going to read a couple of quotes from it. And then I wanted to ask you some questions because I struggle with exactly the idea of the tone deafness and the bubble environment. So before we get into that, I'll just read a little bit of your piece, if you don't mind. No, go ahead. Okay. Celebrity culture is burning. America is in crisis, but the celebrities are thriving. They are beaming into our homes, reminding us to stay indoors and stay positive as we're all in this together, which you put stay positive and we're all in this together in quotes. When I watch their selfie public service announcements, I find my attention drifting to the edges of the frame, to the understated wall molding visible from behind Robert De Niro's shoulder, to the craftsman beams on Priyanka Chopra's balcony, uh, to the equine wallpaper framing Zoe Kravitz's crackling fireplace. And then you go on to write, among the social impacts of the coronavirus is its swift dismantling of the cult of celebrity. The famous are ambassadors of the meritocracy. They represent the American pursuit of wealth through talent, charm, and hard work. But the dream of class mobility dissipates when society locks down, the economy stalls, the death count mounts, and everyone's future is frozen inside their own crowded apartment or palatial mansion. The difference between the two has never been more obvious. Hey, Bob! Hi. Hey, this is Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Bob. Amanda, this is my brother, Bob. He is a sociologist at UC Davis. And I was just talking to him, um, and he had some really interesting thoughts. So I wanted him to join, if that's okay, Amanda. Yeah, of course. Bob's in Sacramento and Davis. Amanda's in New York. I'm in L.A. So I I sent the article to my brother as well. But what do you think, sort of on a broad scale, uh, in the past few decades, has the idea of celebrity change in terms of like social media and how we view celebrities in our imagination? Yeah, I mean, I do think there's this feeling that celebrities are closer to non-celebrities than maybe they used to feel. There's less of a, like a person like me, it's like making my job obsolete. (laughs) But somebody doesn't have to talk to me and have me, you know, transcribe it in the New York Times in order to like get their message straight out to their fans. So there's a way in which, you know, like people just feel closer together. They feel like they have this closer direct relationship than they did in the past. I mean, there's always been this feeling with fandoms that there is like a, there's a kind of personal vicarious relationship with the celebrity. But I do think social media just makes that more literal. Do you think certain generations of celebrities are much better at like, you know, someone 40 plus tends to be a little more tone deaf? I don't think so. Or are we all just dingbats? (laughs) I mean, I think about someone like Cher, who has like the most amazing Twitter account. I think the most amazing celebrity Twitter account. So I think it just kind of depends on what your aptitude is. I mean, they're always like, we're using the term celebrity broadly, 
I think, but there are always people who are more interested in that part of their public persona and existence than other people. And so that's a part of it too, I think. But I do remember the first time when I found out that a celebrity hired someone like an assistant to do their social media. This was like in the early days of Instagram. And I had signed up for Instagram and I was like, oh, it's this fun toy that I can use. And then when I realized that someone was outsourcing it to someone else, I was like, oh, is it that fun? (laughs) (laughs) Or is it something that I feel like I have to do? And if someone hires someone to do it, like it can't be that fun. And now I think we're all sort of also in this backlash period towards social media just after understanding how much power it has. So that's shifted. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So you cite some examples, and we don't have to go into it necessarily, but do you think, and this is a tough question because it requires you to imagine what these celebrities are imagining, but in terms of tone deafness, is it true sort of obliviousness. And what worries me is that I do shit that could be perceived as tone deaf. I don't post that much, but because other much bigger celebrities are clearly tone deaf in some cases, I assume that they're not realizing how their life is being perceived. That's the generous assumption I make, I think. I mean, I could sympathize with them and say that in a lot of cases, like wealth or somebody's like beautiful home are things that people want to see and that have been broadcast to people who like really like to see those images and sort of like vicariously live through that. And we're just in this completely unprecedented national trauma that I think it's taken everybody a while to figure out what it means. And one thing it means is that it's hitting some people in very different ways than it's hitting other people. So like, I'm in this very lucky position where I'm employed, I'm employed in a job where I am not put at personal risk by like typing my columns from my apartment. And, you know, there are people who are out of work or who are working at grocery stores. And that's just, I mean, we're all living through this thing, but some of us are living a a totally different kind of reality. So yeah, I think maybe it sort of took some celebrities by surprise that Seeing different Alex Rodriguez's <laughs> pool <laughs> is maybe not the thing that people really want right now. But there's also, you know, there are like really corrosive aspects to celebrity culture too, where there always is this push and pull between admiring someone and loving someone and resenting someone and and hating someone who you don't know. So maybe we're just we're in the backlash and it might come back. Yeah, Bob, do you remember? When we were at the bowling alley, probably 2003, maybe 2002, it was Christmas time. We were at the Luma bowling alley and I got, in my memory, I got kicked out, but I think I just got cut off. Uh, I was trying to order another beer and the grumpy bartender was like, no. And I said the words, do you know who I am? Oh my God. I know. I know. I know. I know. I was debating whether or not to tell you, Amanda. I love it. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank you. That, that's, is that the only time you've ever said that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, totally big, big brother. No, no, not forgivable. I, but it was, I woke up the next morning feeling like, oh, fuck. Just mortified. And I just remember thinking, have I been intoxicated by, you know, the nonsensical attention that I suddenly, that felt like a head rush? That's just my own story. And I'm now regretting that I reminded my brother of it because look at that grin that he has on his face. He's like, I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for that. But did he, did, did he know who you were? No, not at all. (laughs) Which makes it great. So it was, so it was appropriate that I was, it was, if I was going to go there at one point in my life, it was the perfect juncture because it was the perfect person to uh, shut me down. (laughs) 
I think it's forgivable because of where you were in, in your career. No, I don't think it's ever forgivable. You know, there's a huge difference between being and becoming. And you were becoming at that time. And that is a radical transformation, social psychological tra- transformation. Becoming a celebrity is way different than being one. You know, I just, I've always felt like becoming famous has got to be one of the most, you know, social psychologically traumatizing. You know, it's really the most transformative thing you can imagine, but it's true. There's a, there's some, the suddenness with which those changes occur, I think is, could have some parallels to trauma. And I don't want to, I do not want to make this a pity party for the rich and famous, but, um, but it's such a radical shift in self-concept that it's hard to, to keep a level head and to keep uh, maintain perspective. I, I, and basically nobody does that. No, I think suddenly being valued, sort of your presence is valued more than say other people's in the social environment or something. It's a very complicated, overwhelming feeling, I think. Yeah. I think there's some research that shows that actually on, on average, these, these transformations um, are accompanied by reductions in empathy, the capacity for empathy, but also cognitive impairment. Um, and I'll have to go back and, and dig through my notes. Yeah. So yeah, gaining social status can make you stupid um, in, in a nutshell. That's so funny because, I mean, I don't spend a lot of time in like the celebrity realm, but occasionally, you know, I'll like for my job, I'll go to dinner with someone and I'll see everyone looking at us and it makes me feel terrible for the person that I'm with. I don't know. It just seems, does it feel that great? The the few times I think that, that it happens, it feels very intense. I feel very careful with, you know, my words. Or I, I think maybe at first when you're young, it felt great to walk into a, a restaurant or a club and it feels very heady. And it feels, you know, like you've won something. But it is hard to be watched. Sometimes it feels like you're playing a different character or something. Amanda, I'll have to think about that question for a minute. But my my short answer is no. I can weigh in on it a little bit. You know, as a proud big brother, I remember one of my favorite times um, was walking down the street in Bourbon Street in New Orleans. And I was getting such a kick out of it. We're walking down the street, you know, and I'm watching people, you know, coming by and then watching that recognition moment. And then like you know, they're grabbing their friends and stuff. That that was so much fun. I got a kick out of it. <laughs> but, um, it's a lot of ammunition for making fun of your little sister. Yes, totally. Yeah. Yes, yes, 100%. Bob, would you... Tell us a little bit, because Amanda in her article also talks about the guillotine 2020, hashtag guillotine 2020, which I hadn't heard about uh, because I don't know anything until I read your article. Yeah. Well, you asked me, I think your, your original question was, is it a good idea? You know, what should celebrities be doing uh, or something like that to that effect with respect to social media? And I, my feeling is that, you know, clearly people are not reading the room and part of it, you know, on, on some of these platforms are, there are, you, you've always got a, a bunch of trolls, you know, who are nasty. But even before coronavirus, we had, I think, a, a fomenting Jacobin kind of uh, faction on social media particularly Twitter, as far as I can tell. Bob, will you explain to our listeners a little bit what Jacobean... Jacobins were the were among the most radical factions during the French Revolution. And uh, they were the ones bringing people to the guillotine. And I wasn't aware of that hashtag, but I'm guessing... I, I, I think I can guess the, the meaning of it. But yeah, so there's that. So that, that was already going on, I think, to some degree. And now the coronavirus has only magnified that and magnified the you know, socioeconomic differences. And I think... You know, so, so celebrities have just been, a lot of celebrities have been completely clueless about that. And it's it's kind of baffling to me because it's kind of like, I'm analogizing it to like the frat guy who goes out in like blackface at Halloween or, or in a Nazi costume. It's like every year that happens, you know, every year some fraternity guy wears a, you know, a racist costume and it blows up on the internet and they, but it keeps on happening every year. They keep on doing it. And it's like, you know, why are people not, why are celebrities not learning from, you know, by example? Yeah. I just don't understand why they, you know, they keep on getting into hot water. Well, the idea, like even the, the term tone deaf is so appropriate because it's not absorbing any of the, the nuance or I guess the experience of everybody else in the world. It's a lack of listening essentially. Right. Yeah. And now people are, celebrities are bringing people into their homes, which is, you know, where the real wealth gaps are, are put in stark relief, you know? And meanwhile, you've got somebody stuck in an apartment, you know, a studio apartment with a, a maybe a roommate and, you know, they're, they're out of milk. <laughs> you know, I, 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 
it's sort of happened to me that they haven't, it's not the initial cluelessness, but the sustained cluelessness. Like why, why are they continuing to do this? And I think, you know, the best I can, I can come up with is that you know, partly these, these status related cognitive impairments and empathy deficits, and, but there's also just sort of standard social psychological tendencies to focus on ourselves. And I think, I think those get magnified when you're a celebrity and people are, are in general are often not very good at put, truly putting themselves into other people's shoes. That's probably, that process is probably magnified. You would think actors would be. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you would think. I mean, I think also they're just, they're in so many other circumstances, they're so highly incentivized to share themselves and to focus on themselves, and they're so lauded for it. And I do think, again, not to, not to be too sympathetic to celebrities, but they are in this interesting position where, like, one of the most interesting things to me is that this backlash has occurred against people who are showing their lives in their homes. People like Jennifer Lopez, who I don't know how much money Jennifer Lopez actually has, but the back of the envelope calculation is something like a net worth of $400 million, (laughs) which is insane. And no one can conceive of that amount of money. But that is a rounding error in like Jeff Bezos's net worth. It's a fraction of a percentage point. And he is just not required to show up and be publicly shamed in the same way that someone like Jennifer Lopez is, where he could actually, you know, he has so much, so much insane power in this situation. So they are these kind of middlemen. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I love it that that this conversation has taken this a little bit of a turn. Not that it's a turn, because maybe it's always been there. But you're like, no, 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 celebrities are people too. (laughs) Um, I know. (laughs) But I have complicated feelings about the celebrities asking for – not complicated – because I think it's wonderful that, that uh, certain charities are getting exposure and that people are giving. I've been hesitant to ask viewers or followers or anything to contribute to a specific charity because it feels a little bit, it's not a, it's not a direct correlation at all. But like every year, the studio that I work for gives us, a, you know, a Christmas gift, which is a donation to, you know, the Cancer Society of America or something in our name, which is awesome. I love that. But I'm always wondering, like, well, how much? But how, how much in my name? Like, just give me, just give me the number. Like, is it 20 bucks? Is it like, you know, two grand? What, what are you, what are you doing in my name? Wait, you like, can't, you can't get that information? No, what am I supposed to do? Call like the head of the studio? Hey, just out of curiosity. Like, what was the, do- no, I can't, I'm not going to do that. Well, I think it would be records. Like you, you yeah, but what am I going to do? Audit? But no, no, I'm not going to. No, do- but like you're, isn't your accountant using that for tax? Yeah. <laughs> Is that your tax records or something? We're not going to explore that. But there is there is, a, <laughs> there is a little bit of a feeling when, you know, when you see people like, hey, donate to this. There is also a curiosity, a little bit of like, well, what did you give? Well, come on. What did you, you pony up? <laughs> but that's just sort of my own griping. Amanda, how do you think the apology realm works in like successful and unsuccessful? I don't know if you can think of any examples, celebrities backing off of a post and if they do so successfully or not. Part of this interview, Amanda, is for my own personal advice. And so I thank you very much for like, what do I do when I need to apologize, Amanda? (laughs) So we all know about the 
the Imagine video. Yes. At this point, obviously. Yeah. And I did, there was one person who like explained himself. So the video, I mean, beyond the fact that you could see the the homes and like the vast backyards and the wealth that people were crowdsourced singing the Imagine video, which is like the most self-important possible song you could choose at that time. Um, There was one person, Jamie Dornan, who did an interview on another podcast where he explained how it came together. And he said that Kristen Wiig, who he had worked on a movie with, had asked him to do it. And he said, of course. But in in the podcast interview, he said that he took care to film his part in the toilet, in the bathroom, (laughs) so that it looked normal, as opposed to some of the other celebrities who were like in their backyards, which I don't know if that's an apology, but I really appreciated it because A, it's hilarious that the normalizing thing is for someone to go sit on their toilet. Like I like that honesty and saying like, this is the part of my home that I felt like I could do this from and appear like a normal person. So I do think like, even in the case of the celebrity content that's happening now, like people are also like incredibly starved for stimulus and diversion and entertainment. And so if someone like makes me laugh, then I appreciate that, you know? Yeah. But I actually, I haven't seen a lot of apologies. I think people have just started to pivot in how they're approaching it, but I haven't seen I haven't seen a lot of people apologize at this point. Yeah, a while back I posted a picture of uh, these boots that I liked. I'm in these boots and I'm sort of laughing. I'm doubled over, and the comments were instantly like, "Oh, you look too skinny. You look too skinny." And uh, I just told my mom that I think I've gained a pound every day I've I've been here. So, mom, don't she'll worry. be happy to hear that. Oh, I know. I told her already. She's like, "Woo!" Okay. I'm like, "Yeah, no stress, mom." But um, anyways, but I, so I took it down pretty immediately, which only exacerbated the situation, which I shouldn't have done, I guess. I don't know, because I still don't know sort of the rules and, and I try to avoid looking at, at the comments and stuff. But that's just my own uninteresting individual perspective with this. And I, and I don't have nearly as many followers as like, you know. I did a little scroll through your Instagram before yeah, we talked. I was worried that <laughs> you might see. do that. <laughs> Just to see what you've been posting. And there was something that you posted a little while back, which was something, it was like a promo for a new podcast and you were like arm in arm with the guest. Oh. Do you remember this? And so people were like, people were like, are you hugging someone? Like, that's so inappropriate. You need to be social distancing. Why aren't you six feet away from this person? That was Wendy, Wendy McClendon Covey. And that was, that was like a day after, yeah, we we did that podcast right before, you know, sort of the stay at home orders. And I did remember hearing about that, that people were concerned that we weren't social distancing. Uh, So we had to sort of, you know, make an explanation that we, we, um, we did that interview before everything got crazier. And I think that that's appropriate, though. I think it's appropriate that we play by the same rules and, and, and sort of respect these, you know, the, the equalizing effect of this. And of course, it would frustrate people. We're all stuck at home. But what do you think, Amanda? I think if it was from the before times, then you have nothing to apologize about. But I also think, you know, it's actually, this is such an interesting moment, because the information is moving so quickly, maybe not quite as much anymore. But, you know, for a while, it was like, don't use a mask that's so insensitive to people who need them who are working in hospitals. And now it's like, everyone should be wearing a mask. But there's also this social shaming part of it that I don't actually know because I'm not an epidemiologist, but it might be helpful. Like, is this the one case where it's helpful to yell at other people for, you know, doing things that are perceived to be unsafe? I don't know. I think so. You know about like sort of the tallest poppy idea. But don't you think is we've been socialized and culturalized to nurture tall poppies, right? The idea of an individual success or, you know, a go-getter, an entrepreneur. I thought we were a culture that wasn't as thirsty to maybe take down, to be critical of people of privilege, whether that's through hard work or through, you know, their family means or whatever. So the internet, though, and social media seems to have kind of neutralized 
the idea of putting people on a pedestal. And there are, you know, clearly millions of people who will one day uh, have a lot of admiration for a certain celebrity and then with a post suddenly hate them or want to take them down. It's this battle, I think, that a lot of people have inside where they sort of dislike the worshiping element in themselves. Sometimes, like if I do get recognized or whatever, sometimes I I sense that very specific thing where it usually comes in the form of like, I don't know who you are, but my mom says you're somebody. Or it's like, oh, you're shorter in person than I thought. Or I didn't like that movie or, or whatever it is. And I, I'm fine with that. I've, I'm 43. I feel like flattered if somebody recognizes me. But I wonder if social media has broken down some of the awe factor of and humanized uh, the idea of celebrity as well. So then when celebrities treat celebrity as though it is special status, there's an eagerness to to be like, you know, you're just like us. I mean, I guess it started sort of with Us Weekly with their long running stars are just like us became sort of started maybe a trend. I don't know, Amanda, you would know more about this than I do of yeah. the normalization of celebrity. I don't know much about like the history of celebrity, but it does feel like that polarization, like the love and resentment is really built in to the culture as it stands right now. And part of it, I think, you know, like there's an aspect to watching celebrity lives that's like similar to, I don't know, reading a novel or watching a TV show. Like people are interesting and I can follow their lives and there's interest in that. But also like an interesting story has conflict and drama in it. (laughs) And so you just become like the battered character in that in that drama. And that polarization is like really set up to like foment something like that. Amanda, you you also write a lot in your and in your series, your New York Times series about non-celebrity famous. And what do you think the appeal of the mundane? I guess maybe it's not mundane, but sort of the averageness. Is it the comfort of the the popularity of some of these YouTube videos that that you write about and you talk about with families? You know, inter you know interacting or doing silly things that seem relatively normal to me. I guess I haven't seen some of the crazier things that you write about. But what are your thoughts about that on a broad scale? I mean, part of it is that the scale is so much different. So you can be a family on YouTube and have like a million followers and that doesn't make you famous and you would never be in a movie or something like that because there are like thousands and thousands of people like you now. But it means that for me as a viewer, I can find like a family that I really identify with. But then also I do think part of it is this aspirational feeling that's like maybe what I do in the way that I live my life is um, important or worth, you know, worth as much as any celebrity life to be examined. And in some cases, those people, they have these very intense micro fandoms around them that also become incredibly insane, but they just don't have the protection of like wealth, (laughs) I guess, to protect them from that. So I think that can be an even scarier kind of version of celebrity. But I do think there's something about someone who feels similar to you in a situation that's not similar in that they're like you, but they're famous. Right. Man, it's a, what a weird world. I think a lot of celebrities really enjoy hiding. So I think for a lot of uh, celebrities, though, this is a time of kind of relief. And I wonder if that leads to flippant Instagram posts or social media posts. If there's like, Oh, yeah, I really just wanted to stay at home anyway. This is awesome. You know, so I wonder if that is also sort of bleeding into some of the tone deaf posting. I mean, there are some people who, like Ellen, for example, has been posting a lot. And she's like telegraphing this kind of feeling of distress, which, again, it's a national trauma and it's normal to be distressed. But she she made this joke recently that it felt like prison, (laughs) which did not go over well. And so I do think there's this double bind where it's like reveling in your surroundings is a tone deaf look when so many people are suffering, but also pretending as if you are also in this realm of the sufferers, I think is can cause a backlash too. Yeah. So, okay, wait, I want to read uh, the last paragraph of your of your piece. Okay, let's see. Celebrities are not among the very wealthiest Americans. Lopez's reported net worth is a fraction of a percent of Jeff Bezos's, but they are the ones who are tasked with liaising with the general public, offering vicarious access to their lifestyles. 
Celebrity culture glorifies them not just for their performances or personas, but for their wealth itself, their blowout child birthday parties, car collections, plastic surgeries, and property ownership. From lifestyles of the rich and famous to my super sweet 16 and keeping up with the Kardashians, the ability to watch or hate watch this spectacle of excess has functioned as a bizarre appeasement for inequality. But this compact rests on the celebrity's ability to seem to move easily between the elite and the masses to be aspirational and approachable at once. And under normal circumstances, they are accustomed to receiving accolades for using their platforms to raise awareness in the service of bland initiatives for the public good. But our awareness has never been so easy to rouse and misuse. Celebrities have a captive audience of traumatized people who are glued to the internet, eyes darting toward trending topics for clues to process the unimaginable horrors looming just outside and instead are finding Madonna bathing in a rose petal strewn bath. I think that that's so beautifully written and so very accurate. And I really wanted to talk to you about sort of all of this because I find myself being self-absorbed, feeling guilty and ashamed, I guess. And not that, I mean, we have a warm, safe home. It's nothing crazy, but still unbelievably fortunate. You touched on something that, um, that I, I want to explore. Just the, the ranking of, of people in, in general and the idea of... I, and I guess I'm hesitant, of course, to be critical of people that I love and admire. But with the imagined video, it does feel like, are we that off the mark thinking that that would provide comfort? And I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, I think this is a time when it's become so obvious that the way that we orient a lot of our interactions over the internet and elsewhere like around cults of personality, it's like not helpful. And there's an actual need for community responses. And it's hard to always know how to navigate the difference between that, especially if you're someone who until recently has been sitting like very comfortably at the top of your own <laughs> cult of personality. But this is why I think, you know, and in a way it's a, it's like a meme that doesn't totally have to do with her, but there's a reason that people have been drawn to Britney Spears in this moment. Yeah, yeah. Actually, because of your article, I clicked on her Instagram. Yeah. So Britney Spears is a really interesting kind of celebrity because unlike most of them, she doesn't have control over her finances and she doesn't have control over her choices because she, for many years, has been under a conservatorship which means that her father and a lawyer control like basic aspects of her life. So that's the context of her. But she also has been posting recently, like repost, she reposted something. I don't know if you have it there, what it said. Yes, I have it here. She posted by Mimi Zhu. During this time of isolation, we need connection now more than ever. Call your loved ones, write virtual love letters. Technologies like virtual communication, streaming, and broadcasting are part of our community collaboration. We will learn to kiss and hold each other through the waves of the web. We will feed each other, redistribute wealth, strike. We will understand our own importance from the places we must stay. Communion moves beyond walls. We can still be together. Which is lovely. I haven't seen any of her other postings. But you think that she's an example of somebody who is reading the room. I mean, I think any celebrity calling for the redistribution of wealth <laughs> is going to cause a, a splash. And among the people who are angry at celebrities, like in a good way. But I also think, you know, part of it, one thing I wrote is that in the in the caption of that Instagram post, she had put three roses, which are the symbol of the Democratic Socialists of America. But it's not clear whether Britney Spears knows that or if she just likes flower emojis because she also has posted other flower Let's emojis. Let's give her credit. <laughs> I know. So there is like an also this element, especially for her, who's she's such a cipher of a celebrity because she doesn't have the same kind of profile as other celebrities do because of her situation. There is like a reading into her post too. And so people have used her as an example, but that's what we do with all celebrities. But yeah, I think if you go, if you were to go on Twitter and say, you know, redistribute wealth, then that might be like a positive PR thing <laughs> for you to do if you wanted. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Amanda, as you study and analyze um, the internet for the New York Times, what delights you, what gives you hope, and what fundamentally depresses you? Maybe we could switch those orders. Um, what depresses me? Yeah, it's actually been interesting because we're spending so much, like so much of our connection is online now in a way that I felt like we had reached our capacity. And now it's like everything, you know, it's how I talk to everyone and how I interact with everyone. But there is one thing that I have noticed recently that I experience off the internet and also on the internet. And it's um, at seven, at least in New York, we clap every night. We go outside or we lean out of our windows and we clap. You wrote a great piece about it. And yeah. it's, great. It's not something that like, I think I would particularly be into under normal circumstances, but it's like the best slash only thing that we do now. And it's really lovely. And it's a way to see your neighbors and to check up on them and to see if the person who came out yesterday is coming out today. And on the internet, you know, it's attached to this hashtag, which is clap because we care. And the way that it's processed on the internet can make it feel smug in a way that it doesn't feel in person because it's packaged in this way that's like, we're helping, we're really <laughs> helping the situation in a way that like, I think we're helping ourselves and it's fine for us to entertain each other and to help ourselves, but we're not really, we're not helping to stop the virus, you know? So there has been, it has been illuminating to see that in those two different ways. And so one of the most depressing things to me about the internet, I think, is that there's this collapse of context often, or the context all gets pushed in this one particular way. Can you give us an example? Yeah, I guess it's the difference between us talking now and me reading an Instagram post of yours and just having to assume how you're feeling or what you're really thinking about it or whatever. And I think a lot of the platforms are set up for information to be shared like as widely as possible and people are priming their posts to make them shared as widely as possible. What do you mean by that? Uh, like I'm posting a tweet to promote my story that I want people to click on. And the way that I phrase that is different from how I might just have a conversation with someone about it who's I've already captured their attention. Sure. And I think often that can strip away like other reasons why we might want to share things other than to attract attention, like to add context or to experience like emotions or whatever. It is just like, it's different from this. I always struggle with like, isn't this going to be boring? If I post this, this is boring. <laughs> this is of no interest to anybody. And it's arrogant for me to think that it would be. I struggle a lot with that idea. But do you find that often that's not true? Or Well, no, I don't know. Because I, I try to not like look at the likes or responses, partly because I'm lazy, partly because I'm in kind of denial of like, I, I don't necessarily want, I've, I've already put it out there. I don't know if I want the feedback because then that leads you down a wormhole. But I also just get this fundamental feeling like, I don't think this is that good, like to, to put out there. It's just not like, look, I'm making some soup. I don't know how that could be of interest to anybody but my mother. Yeah. But I struggle with that. I don't know. I don't have to deal with that because it's like literally the person who is, when I share my soup, it is my mom. Right, right. <laughs> Who's reading it. So it's like, I know that I hit it 100% of the time. Like my mom and my mother-in-law. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Ordinary people put the most banal, trivial stuff on, on there as well. That's the norm for these platforms. Yeah. 
Okay, so who has handled this exceptionally poorly? I mean, I think David Geffen, I suppose. Um, that was pretty amazing. And then he removed it, right? He removed the post of his yacht, or he like deleted his Instagram. Is that true? Yeah, he deleted the post at least. I mean, his was like, there's a, a way in which, from an entertainment perspective, to me, you can go from like being very tone deaf and terrible and like transcend that into something that's just going to like sustain the internet in our collective laughter and shaming for several days. And like David Geffen did that. Cause it wasn't just that it was from the yacht. It was that it was like an air. It yeah. Was it was like a drone, drone. <laughs> shot of the yacht. It wasn't just him taking a selfie. And Madonna is a similar person who's like completely drawn me in with her whole scenario because it's turned into, and this is, I should disclose that like, I, I have like the worst impulses of anyone in being like consumed by trashy celebrity drama. So for Madonna, it's clear that she's like surrounded by people who are on her staff in some way, like medical staff. Yeah, what is that? People who are taking professional videos. I mean, I think the question that I have most about the whole celebrity experience is how many people are quarantining with how many staff and what is it like for them to be there 24 hours a day and not able to leave. Right. Well, and you wrote that Madonna wrote, the audience is my house is not amused by me. Then later from the bath, she concludes that COVID-19 is the great equalizer, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it is amazing, you know, from the psychological perspective. It does seem like from her dispatches, Madonna feels like a regular person right now. She's like, oh, this is must what it must feel like to not be famous. I can't go out and, you know, enthrall audiences. This must be what it's like. And wow, like I can't, it's, how can I survive? But of course it's nothing like that. So at least like Madonna has given me something that I find <laughs> potentially interesting to think about, even if it's her own like severe delusion about it. But I, I want to say Ellen, though. I think Ellen has not done this well. And Ellen is someone who um, part of her thing is that she's, you know, the nice lady who likes you and is like you. And that that's not coming through right now. Yeah, I've been on her show a handful of times and the audience for her show just loves her. I mean, she comes out, she like dances with everyone and they're on their feet. Everybody, it's, there is a definitely like a woman of the people cultivation that she's developed. And, you know, maybe that, maybe that leaves one more vulnerable in circumstances like this. If the picture has been one way and then you pull back the curtain and the, maybe the celebrity doesn't fully realize that the curtain's been pulled back a bit. Right. I fantasized that there was a correlation between President Trump um, suddenly taking a more serious tone after Boris Johnson was diagnosed. It sort of, it, fe <laughs> it felt like, I wonder if in Trump's head that, that this was an illness for a certain demographic or that there was the perception like, I am untouchable. And so that compels Madonna to write something like, this is the great equalizer. There was the illusion of safety to some degree. I don't know. He's in a category of one, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. But there was also, you know, he's from Queens, and which has been hit really hard. And so I know there was reporting that at a certain point, he learned that like people that he does know, like a friend had gotten it. And that that, you know, who knows what changes. Yeah. Yeah. anything for him but that that was significant yeah and i think i think tom hanks and rita wilson i think that was also a very important moment in sort of this insane journey that we're all on yeah to change the subject i wanted to ask another question about your experience with well your opinion of celebrities do you find that you have to treat them with like kid gloves are they are they super sensitive compared with you know normal sane people in my experience celebrities are less sensitive about the questions that I think are tough questions than I am. And I think part of it is that they're really used to talking about themselves. That is so true. But also for me, you know, it's like when I interviewed Tina Turner, it was because uh, this musical was coming out, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, that she had some involvement in as a producer. And before I went to interview her in her castle in Switzerland. You did? Shit. <laughs> It was incredible. 
uh, her, like the, the PR person who was handling it was like, you know, Tina wants to focus on the future. Um, like Tina doesn't want to talk too much about the past. She's talked a lot about her past. She wants to focus on the future. And I was kind of like, I was like, well, you know, the show is about her entire life and I need to ask her some questions about that. But then of course I became like incredibly nervous about asking her about anything, particularly about, you know, her, like the decades that she was beat by her husband and basically imprisoned by him, of course. And when I finally did it, she was really like open and happy to talk about it because she lived that, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm the one who's like, oh, that's such a, like, such a sensitive situation and I can't imagine talking about it like she has lived through it so I don't know I always have to kind of tell myself that I'm probably more nervous than they are although I don't actually know if that's true or not but that's what I tell myself but Amanda I think that's a testament though to your ability to maybe gain the trust of somebody I've had you know my publicist like tell journalists or whatever like don't ask about this or that or that which I it was never my directive I, I always feel like I can handle a tricky question with some degree of diplomacy. And I also like to explore those more uncomfortable things. I think that that takes a little bit of age, though, maybe, too. Bob, Amanda, started. we started off the interview. She said, um, what did you say? If you can talk to anybody who's 79 or 80, you should. <laughs> yeah, you should interview some old people because, like, there's nothing stopping them <laughs> from telling you everything. It's great. <laughs> Hey, Amanda, thank you so, so much. Do you find it annoying when people say stay safe? I'm having trouble with that, and it's childish of me. No, I don't know how to start an email. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever I'm finishing an email, I'm like, I'm always like, stay safe as, you know, I hope you're doing as well as possible, given this, I don't, I have no idea what to say, (laughs) but I appreciate it. I will try to stay safe. Hey, you guys, thank you again. Amanda, was there anything else? Can you sum all this up? I mean, I think we're all struggling to figure out what to do. But given that celebrities are struggling so much less than everyone else, like they just need to figure it out (laughs) before they start posting. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Thank you again. Stay safe. I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much, Amanda. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Bob, thank you. Love you on. Bye. Bye, Amanda. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you. Bye, guys. Stay safe. <laughs>